opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today we are going to be speaking with the Publications Director for the International Association of Privacy Professionals, and we're going to be talking about some solutions with regard to data transfer, which now anybody can transfer data via uh you know, the Internet, um, anywhere in the world. So we're going to be talking about how that affects companies. But we've had our this wonderful guest on our show before, Sam Feifel. But if you didn't hear him before, let me just tell you a little bit about his background. He is the Publications Director for the International Association of Privacy Professionals, and he oversees everything from the Daily Dashboard to the monthly privacy advisor to the IAPP's various blogs, books, and resource center items. He came to the IAPP after stints overseeing a number of B2B publications, including titles in physical security, workboat, and 3D, cap, uh, 3D data capture industries. He began his journalism career with the Alternative Newsday uh, News Weekly, the Portland Phoenix, and he still writes a local music column for the paper on a weekly basis. And you can find out more about him at privacyassociation.org, and he lives in Maine, where the headquarters are. And uh, we're happy to have you back, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Oh, well, I'm happy to be here, Mari. Thanks so much. Yeah, we had you on, I think, before the uh, IAPP conference last year, which was just wonderful, of course, as usual. And we usually have it in March every year in Washington, D.C. So uh, tell us a little bit more about your job. It sounds like you are busy all day long. (laughs) Yeah, there's certainly plenty of uh, topics to cover in the privacy industry nowadays. Uh, You know, what we do at the... IAPP, the International Association of Privacy Professionals, is give people who handle data the tools and information that they need to make sure they're both complying with the law regarding uh, how data needs to be handled in terms of privacy, but also uh, make sure that they're making their customers or their employees or you know whoever they're sort of uh, 
you know, the people they work with are, making them happy and making sure that maybe they're, while they might not be sort of violating any laws, also make sure they're not violating any sensibilities or making anybody uncomfortable with the way they handle their data or creeping them out. And uh, so what, what I do in the publications department is just churn out information that people can use to make better decisions about their jobs. Yeah, and you do a great job. I enjoy reading those as a member myself of the IAPP. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, Sam, you know, you write about international data transfer. Let's let's explain what you mean by that. Sure. So, you know, I think in this day and age, like you were saying, you know, it's so easy to transfer data that people don't even realize sometimes that uh, you're not really just allowed to send data all around the world uh, if it's about a person and contains some sort of sensitive information. So uh, lots of jurisdictions around the world, uh, Europe and Singapore and Hong Kong and the Philippines and uh, lots of places, uh, they have rules about how information about their citizens can travel to other countries. And so it all, it all really started uh, with the EU they have something called uh, the General Data Protection Directive. Uh, this passed back in uh, the mid-90s. And uh, it basically says that unless you've been deemed as a country adequate by the EU, you're not allowed to transfer data to that country or back and forth but from, from those two countries uh, unless you've used one of a variety of mechanisms uh, to prove that uh, you have the correct data handling practices, and you're going to handle that data correctly, and you know uh, basically abide by all of the human rights issues that uh, that the EU has uh, decided that data protection addresses. So, um, you know, this is mostly it's moving databases of information around. It's not sort of one email or anything, right? Um, but it, but it can get that granular. You know, sometimes it really is the information about one person that needs to go from Europe to the United States. So, the, yeah, the U- EU, the European Union, really, you know, set the standard there. What about all these other countries? What about the Asian countries and all these other countries that you were talking about? Are they pretty much using the, the same rules and regulations, or is it just a potpourri of, of different kinds of regulations? It, it definitely is a potpourri, um, and if you are going to be setting up a global company, it's very important that you know what the regulation is in each country. So, you know, for instance, Russia has just uh, passed a law that goes into effect this fall that says that all information about a Russian citizen needs to be stored in country. Uh, mm. Brazil is considering a similar law. Turkey is considering a similar law. So that means, you know, if you are Google and someone sets up a Google account, uh, the information that that person in Russia gives Google is going to have to be stored on a server that is actually on Russian soil. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's a major operational headache for obvious yeah. reasons. Uh, not only do you have to, you know, rent some server space or buy a server farm or do something like that, but you also have to be able to tell where that person is when they're setting up their account and make sure that the data that they're uploading into the cloud goes to the right physical server. And that, that's not a small technical issue to figure out. Um, and then there's, you know, there's a lot of countries that have kind of followed the EU's lead because they want to do business with the EU, right? right. So Singapore just passed um, their uh, Personal Data Protection Act, and it went into effect uh, a year ago in July. 
And, you know, they map really closely to the European Union because they want to be a, a data, data transfer and data uh, holding area for companies that are doing business with the EU, and uh, they want to be deemed adequate by the EU, and they hope they're on their way to doing that. So, you know, you really have to, you know, make sure you understand the jurisdiction that you're doing business in. I, and because we don't have data transfer laws here in the U.S., it can be easy to just think, oh, I'm going to go do business with Europe, and if they buy something from me, I can just store their credit card number here in the U.S. And, you know, that's technically illegal. Right. And you could be like a mom pa uh, website that is doing a lot of work and storing a lot of information and not even realize that you are subject to this, correct? Absolutely. And I think that's often the case. And, uh, you know, the good news is that, um, you know, it's not as though the European Union has some sort of uh, police corps that is scouring the United States and trying to punish ma and pa operators. Right. But, you know, as you get larger, you start to, you know, draw more attention. And, you know, it really wasn't that long ago that Facebook was a ma and pa operation. Right. You know? <laughs> we had, you know, a couple of thousand users about 15 years ago. So right. you never know what might happen, and you want to make sure you set up your business for success. Right. I mean, we got all these startups in Silicon Valley out here in California, and you never know what's going to happen, right? I mean, like you think about Snapchat, you know, or... Right. You know, any of an Uber or any of a number of these startups, they were nowhere five years ago. Exactly. And, you know, I think people are, are I want to go back to the fact that we don't have that same kind of data protection law. Uh, we have a, a whole patchwork of uh, privacy laws. So maybe you can talk to that and what we have to do with regard to trading with other countries and, and working with them, because I don't think people realize that we don't have the same kind of data protection laws that they have in the, in Europe. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, in Europe and I know a few other countries, uh, Canada would be one of them. Um, theirs is more the, for the public sector. But, uh, you know, they have a data protection law that, you know, they generally refer to privacy as data protection. <coughs> and they're law is sort of comprehensive across all industries. It dictates how personal and sensitive information can be handled by any company. And what we do here in the U.S. is we uh, create special rules for handling data depending on the type of data that it is. So we have HIPAA for health information, and we have the Fair Credit Reporting Act for financial information, and we have the Graham Leach Bliley. Yeah, for, you know, also funny, we have FERPA, which I can't even remember what FERPA stands for in right, the education. Right, right, right. And so, you know, what we've decided is that we're going to create special rules for each type of data, but we don't have an all-encompassing rule that covers all types of data. So there's gaps. Yes. And, uh, you know, the Europeans, you know, they see that as less robust privacy law, uh, where a lot of Americans will argue that, for instance, HIPAA or FICRA, those are very old and robust privacy laws that carry real consequences, and uh, they're in some cases more proscriptive than the European law. So, you know, it's definitely just a different way of approaching regulating uh, the way data is transferred. Right. And one thing that's, I think, really a, a big difference is we are mostly opt out. In other words, for for, for much of what we share, 
unless we opt out of letting that company share, they can share. Whereas in the European Union and other countries, they have opt-in. In other words, you have to have prior consent before your data can be used. So that that's another uh, distinguished area, correct? Yeah, and it's, you know, that's the subject of a lot of debate is how do you, so, you know, you might have something written into a law that says explicit consent. And so what does, cons- what does explicit consent mean? Does that mean if I didn't uncheck a box that was right in front of me that I gave consent, or does that mean that I have to check the box to give consent? Right, right. And uh, there's a lot of debate over that. And then, you know, there's also um, things like legitimate use, right? So um, you know, the law might say a company can process the data if they have a legitimate use to to argue that they can process that data. Well, what, what's legitimate? Who decides if it's legitimate? So, you know, like a lot of areas of the law, it's open to interpretation, and one side says one thing, and another side says the other. Right. And so um, they have data commissioners, right, in, in many of these, con- you know, like Canada has their own commissioners, and the uh, European Union have privacy commissioners. And we don't have a privacy commissioner here in the United States. What, what do we use to help determine? Right. Well, we have a number of privacy commission- data protection commissioners, really, when it comes down to it. Yeah, just because uh, there are a variety of sectors that have different laws, so we have a variety of enforcers. And, um, you know, it's the Office of uh, Human Rights that oversees HIPAA, and it's the... Federal FD. Trade Commission. Yep, you know, the Federal Trade Commission is kind of the catch-all. Right. Um, you know, the FCC uh, is for telecom. And, you know, that what the Federal Trade Commission uh, has kind of set themselves up to do is interpret privacy law as either unfair or deceptive practices, right? Right, so right. The way that they kind of get around they're not being an omnibus privacy law is they say, well, you know, if you said you were going to do one thing with somebody's data and then you did another, that's unfair or it's, obst- or it's deceptive and we're right. going to take some action. Right, right. So what data, when, when we're talking about data, just so my audience understands, what kind of data is being transferred and, and where? So, you know, I think a lot of people, they think of the big Internet companies uh, when they think about this problem, right? So, you know, they think about I set up an account on Facebook and I gave them my birthday and I gave them a variety of other personal information and then, you know, they store it in their servers in California, right? Mm-hmm. And that's definitely some of the data that's being transferred. But... Uh, a lot of it is just what we sort of think of as like kind of meat and potatoes data transfer, right? So say you're an American company and you have a subsidiary that operates in Europe or you employ people in Europe. How do you transfer back their payroll information or their insurance information or you know, just your general HR information about your employees? You might, you might be a steel company or you might make cars or nothing that has anything to do with the Internet. You still have to transfer personal data on a fairly regular basis just to go about your business. Right. And so that, you know, that's what I think, you know, is driving a lot of the concern in, in the overall industry about data transfer is, you know, this isn't just for like the ritzy Silicon Valley companies. This is, this is for almost every company that wants to do business in Europe. Right. So what are some of the core, compl- you know, complications that, that companies have? Well, so the, you know, the... The 
biggest complication right now is the debate over uh, U.S. intelligence services access to, you know, foreign uh, personal data, right? Right, so right. There's the safe harbor agreement between the United States and Europe, and if you uh, certify as safe harbor compliant, which 4,000 companies in the United States have done, then uh, you can transfer the data back and forth and, uh, you know, go about your business. And what's happened is when Edward Snowden released all the information about how uh, the U.S. government is requesting and getting uh, personal data from U.S. companies on European citizens, uh, Europe said, whoa, 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 you know, in this safe harbor agreement, we have various... Uh, agreements about how this uh, information will be handled, and now we're finding out that European citizen data is being accessed by the U.S. federal government. That wasn't something that we agreed to. Right, right. And so uh, the European Commission gave the United States 13 ways that they needed to kind of fix their business in order to keep Safe Harbor alive. And the two real sticking points are, one, you know, the U.S. government's access to, to that foreign citizen data. And then number two, that European citizens don't have any right of redress in U.S. courts to sue anybody who uh, accesses their data in, incorrectly. And the United States is currently not budging on that, and so we're at, we're at a bit of an impasse, and there's a big question as to what will happen with the Safe Harbor Agreement. And that, that's the big complication. If Safe Harbor goes away, people will have to use other generally more expensive ways to transfer data. So if, if there's no safe harbor in your company then w that, that transfers data, let's say you have um, some, some business over in England or somewhere in Europe, and then how are you going to do it? You're going to have to get individual contracts to... <laughs> yeah, basically, that, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But, you know, the two other kind of more popular ways of doing this is, one, you can... Uh, apply to one of the data protection authorities in the EU for uh, certification of your binding corporate rules. Uh -huh. And what that does is uh, you basically uh, lay your cards on the table and you show that data protection authority all the steps that you take to protect data correctly throughout your entire organization. They certify your practices. You agree to abide by those practices and to... Uh, let an auditor come in and check on them if, if necessary, and then you're allowed to then go forward and, and transfer data. And that's an arduous and expensive process, as you might expect. And now, are they also submitting to the jurisdiction and enforcement of that particular um, data commissioner? Yes. Oh, so see, that's good. another thing. So that's a huge issue in terms of if they get audited and they said there's a problem, then they could be fined by that company. Exactly. I mean, by that country, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then the, the other thing is there are kind of model contracts that, uh, you know, have been approved for data transfer. And basically you need to, you know, sign a contract for uh, each individual transfer. And, uh, you know, that, that's basically on a case-by-case -case basis. And so, uh, you know, as you can imagine, that's a little bit tedious. Every time you want to make a data transfer, you, you have to abide by and sign a new contract. And, uh, you know, it, it, 
It's not a very efficient way to go about doing your business. No, no. I think it would take a lot longer, and it could be even more political, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, what are some of the possible other solutions if, if they can't agree? What are they talking about in terms of their negotiations? Well, it's a good question. So um, you know, one of the things that has been put out there is um, some referential documents for there's um, the binding corporate rules, as I was talking about, and then there's, uh, in the Asian countries, in the Asia-Pacific region, there's something called the APEC Agreement um, that has uh, what are known as CBPRs, uh, which are kind of the Asian version of the BCRs. And so a referential document has been published between the APEC countries and the EU countries, wh which kind of outlines how to comply with both of them. And so uh, the hope is that it starts to become a lot easier to figure out how to execute these binding corporate rules and that if you can just kind of show this, this competence as an organization that you'll be able to kind of be quickly approved by both the EU and the APEC countries. And that covers, you know, maybe 80% of all the places where you're likely to do business and you kind of just get that out of the way as an organization, and uh, you'll be all right. Uh, you know, and other solutions are, you know, a lot more uh, arduous. It's uh, creating vendor contracts with uh, server companies that keep the data uh, in country so you don't have to transfer the data. Uh, I see. Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically coming up with hardware solutions. You know, okay, I'll store it on a server in France. I'll store it on a server in Germany if that's what I have to do. Right, right, and then they can just access it like while it's there. Is well, yeah, and, that, and well, and that's the big question: is is accessing data that's stored on a server in Germany the same as transferring that data to the United States? Uh, that's sort of still kind of up in the air. Yeah, yeah. So, who are the major players to watch in this? Well, what you really want to be watching is, uh, <laughs> you know. First of all, you should kind of get up to speed on how uh, the EU makes law because uh, it's, it's very complicated. Uh, but people want to be watching the progress of something called the General Data Protection Regulation. We call it the GDPR in the privacy industry. And that is a new, all-encompassing law that would uh, cover all of the member states of the EU, all 28 countries. And it would newly dictate how um, data needs to be handled in the EU, and it would newly dictate um, you know, how it could be transferred outside of the United States. And uh, right now, they're debating the final stages of it. It's, something, it's in something called the trilogue process, which kind of sounds like something out of a James Bond movie. But <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's... Uh, it's in the hands of negotiators between the European Commission and uh, the European Parliament and the European Council. So they're all kind of meeting together to figure out what the final draft will be. And uh, it's a process that started more than two years ago, uh, started uh, three years ago now, 2012. And uh, it looks like this will come to fruition in December or January. And so people should really be getting up to speed. We have lots of resources on our website. There are lots of resources on the European Commission's website. Um, 
getting up to speed on what some of these new requirements will be um, so that you can prepare yourself. Like you might need to have an inventory of all of your data and be able to produce that on demand. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. You might need to have uh, a data protection officer that has been uh, clearly defined within your company. Um, you might have to uh, you know, basically do a variety of things um, in, in new and different ways, and uh, you've got to figure out what those things are. Wow, yeah. And for smaller companies, it's a huge expense to have oh, that. Oh, absolutely it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that, you know, what we would say at the, at the IEPP is, um, you know, start training your employees now, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, if you have to use an, uh, an outside law firm or an outside consultancy um, and get up to speed in a hurry you know, you're going to have to pay a lot of money for that. Right, right. right. Uh, if you start training your people now and getting up to speed and you have internal experts in your company who understand how to data and can how to handle data and can train other people in the organization to handle data, uh, you know, maybe you can kind of absorb some of those costs internally. And if you have a culture of data protection, you know, maybe all you have to do is document what you're already doing. You don't have to go through a rigorous process of changing everything. Right, right. This is why for companies that are driving by, it's a great idea to belong to the International Association of Privacy Professionals because you can get all of these wonderful um, resources that you can read up and find out what's going on and meet people that do know what they're doing so that you would be ready for it. So what do you think we're going to have in place five years from now? <laughs> uh, it's a good question, but I think it's going to be... I think there is some uh, political will in the United States to, I'm not sure if we'll have the Consumer Privacy Bill of Rights that uh, President Obama uh, put forward this year and kind of died on the vine, but I think we'll see some sort of, uh, you know, action on the United States' part to make a gesture to the EU to show that uh, U.S policy does take privacy seriously, regardless of the industry that you're in. And I think the EU will have the general data protection regulation in place and in force. And I think, you know, consumer expectations, most importantly, will be that you have a rigorous and robust data protection program in place, right? Um, You know, nowadays the data breaches are happening and you know, people are using data in ways that are surprising people, and uh, consumers are getting a lot more educated about what they expect from companies. We're, we're seeing that in some of the Pew Research data about, um, you know, consumers, are, 34% of consumers, I think was the last stat, are considering privacy when they're making a buying decision now. Mm. Um, or, you know, 90% of consumers feel as though it's very important that they control their personal data, but only a fraction of that, something like 30%, feel that they really do have control. So you can see they're sort of upset with the marketplace in general. They want the marketplace to evolve. Um, So I I think in five years, you know, it'll be much more commonplace for companies to have a data protection or privacy team in place who are educating the rest of the company about privacy and are overseeing data protection and data transfer operations on that company's part. 
and it won't be, uh, oh, uh, you know, we screwed up, we got to fix it. It'll be a lot more uh, people taking proactive measures to make sure that mistakes don't happen. Yeah, it sounds like we're going to be looking at it uh, from the inception, privacy by design built into the companies. I think the, the, the worrisome part is what's happening, you know, with NSA and government. I think that kind of really got a lot of the uh, heads of state quite upset about that. So we'll see what happens with uh, with. You know, I think the companies, the commercial companies, are going to do the best. But uh, if if the government's going to come in and take that information, um, I think that's going to be worrisome to uh, to the other countries uh, that have to deal with us. Yeah, well, the United States is going to have to make some hard decisions about you know what how our surveillance programs work, and, yep. uh, how it affects our our business climate. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for catching us up to what's going on with data transfer. And we will have you back again, Sam. Thank you so much. And just give your website, and it's time for us to go. Absolutely. We are at privacyassociation.org. Okay. uh, Thank you so much for having me. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And let us know what you're concerned about with privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.